This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Fubar Radio presents. Fubar Radio presents politics on Fubar. Hello and welcome to Politics on FUBAR. I'm Asa Bennett. Now, I'd like to begin by wishing you all a sort of happy Brexit anniversary. Yes, a year it has been since Britain voted to leave the European Union. Some of you might be calling it Independence Day and popping open the English sparkling wine. Others might be feeling a bit flat instead. But nonetheless, you know, the, poli- the political debate we've seen this week, you know, my Brexit negotiations very much are ongoing. People are rushing into meeting rooms talking about all sorts. And, you know, Theresa May has dangled the latest goodie in front of EU leaders lately in the form of uh, a sort of kind, generous offer in her in her words on whether EU migrants, there's over 3 million of them living in the in Britain can stay and whether they have the right to remain and indeed she said that will be fine and obviously you know, the EU leaders they've broadly been pleased with this but then they still say that that's not enough, there's not too happy but bunnies nonetheless and the thing develops in, in, in that case because domestically she's still trying to shore up her, her government and now obviously the Tories are still ploughing head on the Queen's speech was unveiled earlier in the week with uh, some might say a kind of threadbare in some ways agenda because it was uh, ju- it was just simply this with my government you know, Her Majesty said we'll get Brexit right and here are eight bills eight of the 27 she listed were all about Brexit that remains top of the agenda now paradoxically though of course you know despite rabbiting on about Brexit for the beginning I think the main topic this week is not about Brexit because to put it one way you know you you might listen to the talk about sort of hard, soft Brexit and customs union, customs arrangement, whatever you like. Yet, it, generally, the debate, as fierce as it may be, does pale into comparison when you think about sort of matters of you know life and death. And sadly, over the last few months, politics has not been able to escape these sort of issues because at our door, sort of you know threats to security have been sort of apparent again and again. The security services have foiled so you know countless attacks, and yet some sort of you know so tragically, so utterly tragically sort of slipped through the net with completely fatal results. And obviously we saw this in London Bridge, uh, Manchester and, uh, well, more recently now something slightly turning the sort of uh, seeming um, assumption that it was all sort of ISIL, sort of terrorists um, on its head. Uh, in Finsbury Park when uh, sort of a gentleman drove a van that was, uh, through and one is dead I believe and so many many people coming out of the mosque were sort of injured and so really we wanted to examine more this topic of um, security and counter extremism this week and so I, uh, we will have later an extended interview with Simon Trundle a counter-terrorism consultant and we'll be later debating the question how can we defeat extremism and so if you have any thoughts uh, needless to say please do tweet at FUBAR Radio or email politics at FUBARradio.com and uh, of course because this will remain a timely issue, and it's something that you would expect that sort of Theresa May would be rather good at is a sort of uh, tackling as a former Home Secretary, given that she, during the campaign, was able to say at great length, you know, I'm I'm a tough nut. I, you know, was Home Secretary for six years. You know, I I sort of I, I lock up extremists, deport jihadis, and all that. Whereas Jeremy Corbyn, well, he's a you know, soft touch and all that sort of thing. And yet Jeremy Corbyn, then you know, the media pointed out at length his uh, sort of close. His meetings with the infamous report, of course, of him referring to Hamas and uh, Hezbollah, the extremist groups, as his friends. And obviously he would push back at this and say he had to reach out because he's a man of peace, you see. And, you know, when he was photographed with various sort of people related to, who are not too far distant, rather, from the you know IRA, like sort of Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness, people sort of who are part of Sinn Féin, indeed. Uh, they, uh, you know, he would say, oh, no, again, I was working on the Northern Ireland peace process. I have a man of peace. And so, 
you know, despite these apparent weaknesses in the debate, he was able to punch through the sort of armour in politics that Theresa May seemed to have on security by sort of pointing out things like, well, under the Conservative government, you know, 20,000 fewer police officers have been on our streets. This is why you know, this is you know, crippled, he would argue, the belief, uh, the way we can sort of keep our streets safe. And you know, obviously the Tories would turn back and say, well, hang on, you, know, you wouldn't give the police the right to sort of shoot terrorists dead on the street. You shoot to kill comets. They show you are weak, weak week. And nonetheless, given the result of the election, a hung parliament, the, the voters didn't really know. They weren't very emphatic in their choice of who they wanted to be sort of prime minister in this case. I mean, of course, look, let's, let's make absolutely clear before anyone sort of, I mean, people on Twitter seem to think that Corbyn is prime minister somehow just because he's sort of saying things and may lead, them, lead an agenda once or twice. Yet he's not. He, obviously, the, but the point you see Theresa May reshuffling her cabinet, appointing ministers, you might think she actually won, by the way. And uh, indeed, she is. So she, the responsibility is on her primarily as the head of the government to keep Britain safe. And so we'll be exploring this you know, over the coming hour. Um, but of course, first off, I'd like the pleasure of saying, you know, coming up next, I'll be reviewing the week's headlines with Izzy Lyons. And we'll be speaking to her after this short break. Fubar Radio presents Sarah Love and my Steve. We are joined by Jest. If you could magically rid the planet of one thing, who or what would it be and why? Rupert Murdoch's media monopoly. Yeah, such a huge amount of the media or the mainstream media is controlled by this guy. Even down to Vice, he bought a controlling share in Vice. People think it's some kind of alternative hipster form of, you know, yeah. a co- yeah. nice owned by Rupert Murdoch. Over the last however many elections, you see things like just by being able to get Rupert Murdoch to make the Sun readership go from being like the Sun is a pro Labour paper to it's a pro Tory paper is kind of crazy. Every Monday, Sarah Love and my Stiggy from 4 p.m. Fubar Radio. And welcome back to the studio. Uh, you may have been listening now to some splendid reporting by our team on the streets uh, of Islington, talking to the public with their views on extremism. Rest assured, there's a sneak preview, because you're going to hear much more of that later. But in the meantime, I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming journalist Izzy Lyons to the studio. Hello. Hi, yeah. Now, you may remember her sort of previously debating Caroline Russell in a sort of debate, uh, discussion on Brexit, and my God, it was a very worldly one. So needless to say, you will hear her uninterrupted now. Sort of, um, and but I mean, time what, what, what sort of stories grabbed your attention first off should we talk about Finsbury Park well it goes without saying I think it's the leading story this week particularly concerning like national security mm. and once again we're waking up to horrible events of um, just atrocious events unraveling on, on our streets but what I think Finsbury Park sort of well highlighted to me anyway in particular was the lack of consistency when we talk about terrorism in the UK mm. sort of post in Manchester, London Bridge and Westminster Bridge, we were sort of encouraged not to label it for what it was. We were encouraged not to use the word Islamist um, terrorist. You know, even Annie Burnham in, in Manchester refused to call him a radical Islamist. He only called him a radical. But post Finsbury Park, the same sort of pocket of society were very happy to come out straight away and, and label it for what it was, which, you know, rightly so, it was a right-wing radical. Mm. But I found it very interesting, the lack of consistency, where people are, they, they shy away from saying, you know, this is a radical form of Islam for fear of, you know, offending and wanting, not wanting to step out of the line of the politically correct brigade but then at the same time very happily <laughs> tarring anyone who reads the sun or the daily mail as someone who's capable of, of, of committing such an atrocity as we saw in Finsbury Park. Yeah, does this, it, so it strikes you as rather odd then that there are some you know, corners of you know alt-right Twitter that would say no this wasn't a terror attack it was just murders yeah. stupid murders. No but. I think I 
I do classify what happened on Sunday evening as a terrorist attack. I've mm. seen some very valid arguments from very good people who've argued very eloquently why it wasn't a terrorist attack and it was just um, a crime. But I think it was politically motivated. It was against a certain culture with the ultimate aim to wipe out, essentially. Mm. That, to me, is a terrorist attack. So, um, so there were reports that he did say, sort of, I want to kill Muslims exactly. or something like that. So, and I think... Know, I've read some very good arguments saying that this was murder, it was a crime, it wasn't terrorism, but I would definitely deem it as terrorism. But but then if we're getting into a kind of point where we're worrying about whether it is terror or not, it's a weirdly sorry state of affairs to be in. I mean, yeah. of course, there was the Guardian cartoon, I think, um, that, that seemed to just say, actually, who cares if it's an attack? It, it, what was it? It was a van? Yeah. Was, and on the front, what, what was it? It was a van... Um, so it sort of depicted the scene where he's driven over the the innocent people coming out of a mosque mm. and on the side instead of it being a high van it says um, read the sun read the daily mail so the mail must not have been happy with that they weren't they wrote a very stinging reply which I thought was absolutely fantastic <laughs> and that's coming from someone who actually doesn't read the daily mail in print I read it online but mm. um, to insinuate but how was that it how was it fantastic? Well, what was it saying? The sort of Paul Dacre's spleen was vented. It's the it's the double standards that comes from on left wing from left wing papers. You have to imagine if the shoe was on the other foot in this situation. If the Sun or the Daily Mail had printed a cartoon post Westminster that had suggested that anyone who picks up a copy of the Quran is capable of going and sl- slitting the throats of people simply enjoying a pint in, in London Bridge on a Saturday night. If they had done that. They would have been sued quicker than you can say Ipso. They would probably not be in print anymore. Whoever did that cartoon would have been sacked. Like it's just such a double standards within our media and our press, so that the, the the Guardian can get away with things like this. Left wing papers can get away with sort of peddling that by the Guardian's definition was a hate crime like I hate talking about them because I think they're, they're sort of nonsense really hmm. and completely because um, no one really no one serious says oh let's you know, close down the Guardian it's an open sewer you, you hear that about the mail constantly all the time and I think like I'm very critical of a lot of things the Guardian do and this was by far up there with one of their most vile but I think it's important to to, to say that I don't want them to be fined. I don't want them to be, you know, shut down. I don't think it should not have been printed. I I think journalism on the whole should be very provocative, particularly political cartoons. But it does just go to show the double standard where if it was left, you know, Guardian readers picking this up in the mail, they Ipso would be straight on the phone and the press regulators would be straight on the phone. So I think Mm. what's going on in the press in terms of um, journalism, I mean, in terms of terrorism, is very similar to what's going on in the wider conversation. It's just a double standards and we need a bit of consistency here. And and so about um, the security services, though, and sort of our police, you know, Mm. they've been, you know, valiant in how they've responded to these things and with the London Bridge attack, you know, shooting the terrorists dead within minutes and, Mm. you know, thankfully stopping that rampage sort of... um, but recently there's reports of them being rather stretched as a result, yeah. though. And, I mean, do you, do you recognise this? or what I are you think, thinking? yeah, well, Rudd said yesterday, I think it was in the Commons, she has been the first Cabinet member to actually admit that the cuts have affected the police and that they're stretched of their services. Mm. And she also said that there's been five attacks forward since March. So I think that goes to just show just how am- an amazing job that they do and we should always be thankful that they're keeping us safe. But I do think we should be conscious of calling for extra police on our streets in the same way that we should be careful about for the government to regulate our internet because what we have to remember fundamentally is these terrorists want to take away our liberty like that's what they're out to do Hmm. we don't want to do that job for them if we're putting more police on our streets if we're regulating the internet and doing all these things to sort of combat them if we end up sort of taking away those liberties ourselves, we actually end up doing their job a little bit for them. So, so. Do, you, do you think, for example, when uh, the government responded to, uh, so I think it was London Bridge again, uh, by, by deploying Operation Tempera, yeah, the sort of one that's sending uh, you know, armed police and I think out on the streets, yeah. was that proportionate then? No. 
I think uh, I think at face value, a lot of people perhaps I personally did not feel safer when I saw the army deployed on the streets at all. Hmm. But I think maybe the government think that pe- if they see more armed police officers or the army on the streets, they'll perhaps feel safer. But I think that's one step closer to a bit of a police state. And I think we should be conscious of things like that. Of course, because uh, I mean, people might say that if you see a man with a gun, like that, I mean, they may even they're standing outside a building. So it's one of the pr- things we can be proud of in Britain that, you know, the police don't yeah. have to all be wearing gu- exactly. sporting guns. Yeah. Um, but then in the meantime, sort of on, do, on domestic matters, you know, security aside, sort of, uh, uh, it's interesting to see where Brexit is happening now. I mean, I can't Gosh. help mentioning, you know, obviously, Happy Independence Day. Yes, and, and, Happy well, Independence same. Day. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> obviously, Remain listeners, I do apologise <laughs> if that's uh, grating with you, but it's the times. It's we have to, here. Yeah, um, <laughs> but there's a report about, you know, it might, might be thwarted in the Lords. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't put it past them. I think, so there's a, something called the Salisbury Convention. So if the leading party doesn't get a majority, then the Lords don't have to abide by what was in their manifesto hmm. and they can vote against it. And of course, the Tories didn't get a majority and it's very possible that the Lords could try and override Brexit. And I think when we're in a position, supposedly in a, in a civilised um, 21st century democracy, when we've got a position where unelected people can actually override the decision of elected people, we have a serious problem. And I do think over the next 10 years, the, the, the role the laws will play in British politics does need to put under the microscope in the same way the EU was. Hmm. But it's, it's, it's scary to think that people who, there are still peers in the Lords that have got it purely now, like you're saying override, though, although um, perhaps one might say they won't surely override Brexit. They'll water it down. Uh, they'll is, instead is, is just the... make it single markety and yeah. customs union will stay in that. Yeah. And I mean, surely that's more realistic, in a sense. Mm, what do you mean? In what sense? Well, they're not going to cancel Brexit. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them. I seriously would not put past um, anything in terms of Brexit, considering um, th- I might be wrong in saying this, but the, most of the peers in the Lords are Lib Dems, or they definitely have a there are far too many peers larger Lib Dems, majority than yes. they do in the Commons. But anyway, over a hundred Lib yeah, Dem uh, peers, mad. and only about twelve MPs are <laughs> Lib Dems. It's not reflective at all. But I don't know. Maybe not to the extent that they'll try. And I, I think it comes back to this idea of soft and hard Brexit. I just don't believe in those terms at all. I think Brexit is Brexit. I think when people voted to leave the EU, they voted to leave every single part of the EU. Um, Mm. They weren't sort of pernickety and we can have that, we can have that. It was to leave the EU. And I think the Lords, you know, they'll probably try and go for a bit more of a soft Brexit. But in my eyes, that's still watering it down. But do you think they can get away with this? In what do you mean? Do you think people will challenge it? Sort of, I mean, obviously, constitutional uh, sort of wrestling between chambers is fascinating for everyone, <laughs> followed by the day. But they, they must surely know, like, for example, during the Brexit bill, when Article 50, uh, the triggering of that mm. was being debated, we all thought, no, the Lords are going to stop it. Lord Heseldine and Mandelson, the Remainers are coming. <laughs> and then they, they brought, they, they, they fumed. Yeah. But then it went through. Well, I do think they would be very, very reckless for them to do that, because there is essentially 17.4 million people out there who'd be very pissed. Off. But they may think May didn't win the majority, so you yeah. Know, I suppose by, step in now, by British convention politics that they can, but I just think it, it does really put the laws under the spotlight in terms of the role that they should play in politics. In my opinion, that isn't one at all. I believe in a second chamber because I believe in holding government to account, but I don't believe in an unelected second chamber. So. Hmm. Well, 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 and so what would you say instead? They should just wish to have a. Br- in, in the post-Brexit day, <laughs> let, let's play with this democracy sort Abolish of shenanigans. <laughs> you, you'd want I'm to have a it. Senate or something. Uh, I just think perhaps another House that's elected, but just not one that is unelected. I just find it utterly, especially, you know, we're talking about it being one year since Brexit. That was a momentous day hmm. in sort of saying no to the EU's sort of paper-pushing bureaucracy that's very undemocratic. Hmm. And we have those issues close to home as well. And that is represented in the House of Lords.
Oh, okay, well, in that case, that's definitely very interesting. Obviously, I, I could really just make this whole democracy hour at this rate. I know, you we know, sort of, but nonetheless, <laughs> maybe perhaps to tie these two themes together, just as we always say, you know, after, just we've been hearing a lot lately that, um, you know, sort of the security sort of. It must remain strong, and that these sort of awful terror attacks. They, you know, democracy must prevail for all these things. Yeah. You know, it's an attack on our values. That's what we hear frequently. I would certainly agree. In the same sense with you know Brexit, obviously this is democracy in action, and you know, long may it reign. Indeed. So, thank you very much, <laughs> Izzy, you. for your time. Cheers. And uh, coming up next. Well, by the way, if you were thinking, my God, that was a sort of a Brexit-filled, you know, sort of hideousness. There's too much OTT Brexit. Come on, you know, please just tweet, tweet, sort of tweet the Fubar Radio or email politics at fubarradio.com. Set me straight. Why not? So let's, you know, happy to respond while we're going on through these things. But in the meantime, I can uh, happy to tantalise you by saying that coming up next, I'll be having an in-depth interview with counterterrorism consultant Simon Trundle. But first, here's a short reminder of how some of our most prominent politicians have responded to recent terror attacks. Over the past three months, the UK has been targeted by four separate terror-related incidents. On the 22nd of March 2017, an attack took place on Westminster Bridge in London. The attacker injured more than 50 people, four of them fatally. What happened on the streets of Westminster yesterday afternoon sickened us all. At approximately 2.40pm yesterday, a single attacker drove his vehicle at speed into innocent pedestrians who were crossing Westminster Bridge. Just two months later, on the 22nd of May, a 22-year-old British Muslim detonated a homemade bomb at the exit of Manchester Arena following a concert by American singer Ariana Grande. At 10.33 last night, the police were called to reports of an explosion at Manchester Arena. We now know that a single terrorist detonated his improvised explosive device near one of the exits of the venue. The explosion coincided with the conclusion of a pop concert, which was attended by many young families and groups of children. Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham said it was an evil act, and American President Donald Trump condemned the attackers as losers. I want to thank the people of Manchester. They gave the best possible immediate response to those who seek to divide us. And it will be that spirit of Manchester that will prevail and hold us together. So many young, beautiful, innocent people living and enjoying their lives murdered by evil losers. I won't call them monsters because they would like that term. Twelve days later, at 10.08pm on Saturday 3rd of June, police responded to a call about a white van ramming into five or six people on London Bridge. The van veered off the road and drove into people on the pavement. The three men were in hoax suicide vests, then ran down to Borough Market, stabbing pedestrians in the process. As the Mayor of London, I want to send a clear message. We will defeat you. As a proud and patriotic British Muslim, I say this. You do not commit these disgusting acts in my name. As recently as this week, a man drove a van into worshippers near a North London mosque 
sparking conversations about the way international media reports on crimes committed by Muslim and non-Muslim terrorists. Leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn, spoke to reporters on Monday. An attack on a mosque, an attack on a synagogue, an attack on a church is actually an attack on all of us. We have to protect each other's faith, each other's way of life, and that's what makes us a strong society and community. And so um, I am not complaining at all about the local police. They, in fact, have worked very well together with both of the mosques in Finsbury Park to make sure they have the support that they need. According to MI5, Western countries remain prime targets for international terrorist groups. As it stands, the current threat level for international terrorism in the UK remains severe. Now, welcome back to Politics on FUBAR. It's Asa Bennett here, and uh, it's, uh, I'm delighted to welcome to the show Simon Trundle, a counterterrorism consultant. Good afternoon. Hello, so Simon. Um, you know, I think uh, are, you, are you there still? Hmm. Yes, can you hear me? Oh yes, absolutely, loud and clear. Now, um, I just want to first off, obviously, the listeners uh, hearing the title counterterrorism consultant may well wonder, sort of, what what exactly do you sort of consult on then? I mean, who are you advising? Well, just to, on how to stop them being attacked, I take it. Uh, my background is uh, better. You, you, you should always at least know who you're talking to. Um, my background is more than 30 years in this, starting with police and security services in Northern cool. Ireland, uh, building protected police stations to try, and pro- to try and protect against the various levels of bombings and attacks that were going on over there, and then progressing on to more international work. So we advise everybody from international property developers to government. Um, we run training sessions for the police. We develop training DVDs and videos over the years has been a wide range of how we give consultancy and advice. So you've been and, re- and definitely very much around the block in this in this uh, on the subject. And so um it's been sort of curious it must be curious for you then seeing because obviously back in the sort of 1990s say the main terrorist threat for in Britain was the well, not controversial to say was from the IRA. And then obviously that's changed now to sort of it well, Islamist extremism. I mean is that sort of a, a fair characterization of recent history? That's that's very fair because we, we we have to deal with the threat from IRA and Republican terrorist groups who generally um, operate in uh, in the kind of good old fashioned terrorist way: make a bomb, put it in place, or assassinate somebody and get away. Hmm. Give a warning, give a multiple warning. But uh, things changed then, uh, where people were beginning to offer their life to carry out the attack. Hmm. And so it's become more radical, in other words. And they, because I, I remember with the IRA, they would, if they plant a bomb somewhere, sometimes they'd ring the place ahead and just so they could get away from it. Um, that so the victims could sort of get, get away. But for example, Manchester, obviously the victims there had no warning at all. Well, actually, there's a communications breakdown in Manchester. Um, if we looked at the uh, Bishopsgate, the big bombing in the city of London, there were three or four phone calls put in through hospitals through Samaritans through uh, approved channels to mm. warn of the vehicle bomb and, and uh, one person died in the Bishopsgate bombing and that was a photographer who entered the inner cordon to take a photograph of the truck and the detonators. In Manchester there was some confusion uh, in terms of getting the calls through. They came through rather late mm. um, and then the, the IRA bomb detonated whereas you look at the latest Manchester one that was a no warning deliberate attack against civilians. I mean, I mean so with, with this in mind, I mean, how, are there any sort of uh, lessons 
uh, in how we actually best deal with this threat, given that um, it, there seems to be two camps. One that says, you know, you have to understand sort of the communities, you have to show sort of compassion and, you know, sort of Western you know, values cannot sort of harden in the face of this. And another camp sort of says, no, 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 we sort of bring that internment, basically, sort of no surrender, sort of punitive measures must be taken. Yeah, and that's the debate that goes on. First of all, in every attack, there's a detailed assessment afterwards mm. because, you know, it, 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 you have to learn from each attack. So for if we take, example, Manchester, the arena attack, the attacker choose the choose a time purely, I would say, on having observed the the MEN arena working hmm. and how concerts happened. Because uh, to get in there, you have to have a ticket. You get checked. You your bags are searched on the way in. On the way out, quite the opposite. The doors are open to allow tens of thousands of people to get out quickly to catch the train and to allow parents to walk into the lobby to pick up their kids. Hmm. And that's where he exploited this. So the the lesson from that would be now that there'll be no kind of Free, free egress into the building while people are leaving the building. There will be more of a projected boundary outside arenas, so the security will be further away, mm. and parents will have to wait further away from the building. And the further away from the building you are, the, the less crowded the people are. They, they kind of dissipate. They're spread around an area. So we will learn operationally um, how, to, how to defeat that. There are, however, some of the attacks, some of the low-level attacks, the the, the one on Westminster Bridge, the one on London Bridge, the one on Finsbury, hmm. where selecting a vehicle as the weapon is, is extremely difficult um, to counter. Hmm. But again, we can learn some lessons. I mean, I mean, because obviously the, the simplicity there means it's sort of almost horrifically hard to stop them because you almost have to sort of police every car rental agency and anywhere that can hire out a van and they almost have to do security checks at this rate if you take it to its next step. Yes, there, there are thousands of vehicle rentals per day in the United Kingdom. And, and I've, had, I've seen the articles which say, well, we should have a cooling off period. If you want to rent a van, you should mm. have to book 48 hours beforehand. Yeah, all of that's good, but the police couldn't possibly deal with um, another 3,000 rentals coming in in a day saying, can you check all these people? Because the rental company don't necessarily know who's going to rent the vehicle, who's going to drive the vehicle. So the person who's renting it may mm. not be the one who's going to use it. So that isn't effective. What... What I think we end up having to consider is what can we do for our own personal safety and security? Hmm. Um, and one of the big issues we have nowadays is people's complete inattention to where they are and lack of attention to what they're doing, mainly because of smartphones and WhatsApping and Facebooking and everything else. As you walk down the street, you know, more people are looking at screens rather than looking around them and being aware of what's happening. Hmm. But then um, it's curious, because obviously, given the sads of years we've suffered now, security seems to be consistently compromised in that sort of, I mean, after 9-11, of course, now you always have to sort of uh, be, have your bag searched and go for metal detectors every time you want to take anything and all those restrictions on how big your toothpaste can be if you're going to go on board the flight. And sort of in the same sense, you know, by implication, you're suggesting that, you know, parents now can no longer would have to sort of wait further away from arenas and almost almost like we're having to get, tighten up security consistently every single time. Um, and, you know, with Operation Tempera showing a sort of show of force of, you know, men with guns across the street. I mean, do you think, they always say, as soon as we give up our security, you know, sorry, as soon as we tighten it, you know, and compromise on our values, then that's just, that's what they want us to do. The terrorists win. I mean, do you think this will ever sort of stop, or is it a one-way ratchet? No, it's unfortunately we have to learn, and, and it is a ratchet as long as threat is there, as long as people are determined mm. to use the, you know, the definition of terrorism is the unfa- unlawful 
use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilian populations in a pursuit of political aims. That was the definition agreed many, many years ago. As long as people uh, are determined to attack, and therefore that's the question of how can we stop young people being being inducted into this lifestyle. Um, you know, so there's a lot of work has to be done apart from let's stop people, let's mm. put barriers up everywhere, let's mm. let's uh, cr- cr- make everywhere pedestrianised. If I can you take up on a quick point there, sorry, I just can't help being intrigued when you're talking about sort of young people and sort of stopping them being radicalised. Of course, yeah. you know, Darren Osborne, um, the yeah. sort of van driver sort of behind the Finsbury Park attack, you know, he he's a sort of white, it appears, you know, I think he's middle-aged, you know, sort of not quite the same profile. No, and, and this is it. Just as the threat evolves... Um, and is continu- continuously evolving, and we have to keep looking at the nature of the threat. So do the so, so do the, the individuals. Because I can go back to um, the Oldgate Aldwych bombing, where a, a, a bomber blew himself up on a London bus carrying a bomb on his knee. Hmm. Uh, he opened the case, but he he already set the trigger switch, and he'd forgotten he didn't. So he opened the case and blew himself up on the bus, injuring people. He was a very young person from the south of Ireland. <coughs> Pardon me, very young person. The next bomber was in the 40s. It's seldom that they are in their 60s and 70s because you know, mm. we oh, haven't seen that yet, but yeah. it's not ruled out. So you cannot, in my, in my day in, in Northern Ireland, everything else, even traveling from Northern, Northern Ireland over to here, profiling was a big thing, David. If you had an Irish accent and you were wearing a, a black jacket or, or carrying, a, carrying a backpack, you were stopped and profiled mm. and searched. Now the profile changes to almost any individual. And if you look at the attacks, we had, you know, a, a lone attacker on the Westminster Bridge, a lone attacker in Manchester, hmm. a lone attacker at Finsbury, three people working together at at uh, London Bridge and Borough. But then if I could so, just elaborate on the Finsbury Park thing uh, as an attack, it, it, it's sort of so, so sad in a different way because obviously I think there were reports that he was said to have shouted, you know, oh, I want to kill all Muslims and all these sort of claims flying around um, uh, that sort of suggest that he, in a sense, was radicalised almost as a sort of counter to, uh, you know, recent attacks perhaps, as a reprisals in a sense. And given the rise of people, of groups like uh, the English Defence League, Pegida, sort of these of anti-Islam movements in a sense... Uh, uh, that um, he seems to attract all sorts of, you know, uh, undesirables, to put it politely. I mean, do you feel that there's there's a risk now we are seeing an emergence of a kind of um, well, far, to terrorism on the far right, to put it one way? Yes, and um, if you look at a group such as, well, first of all, Finsbury Mosque, people say it's terrorism, it's terrorism, but actually when you drill down into it, it's a hate crime. Hmm. Now, it, it's on the borders of terrorism, but his motivation was because of the previous terrorist attacks, for whatever mental state he's in, and I don't think it's going to be a very healthy mental state, he decided to drive all the way from Wales to a particular mosque, which had appeared previously because of our Abu Hamza, which had been uh, had gained a profile, and I presume that's why he chose the area. Hmm. Now, ISIS, another, let's be with ISIS as the main threat at the moment, they absolutely desire the breakdown of society. They absolutely desire the right-wing elements to start doing this, hmm. to start burning mosques or attacking mosques, because that is the greatest re- recruiting tool that can happen inside the United Kingdom. Because hmm. then they were promoted saying, look, you are being oppressed, you are being attacked, you have to defend yourselves, and then you go from defense to 
to over, you know, offense attacking. And so, so we have to try and clamp down on that. On, it on feeds into the narrative of war with the West in that sense. And um, although, sort of, if, if I can just, I can help being intrigued when you're saying that, sort of, with, with Mr. Osborne, that he's simply just, uh, you know, taking a van from Wales and uh, that it was, oh, he has sort of mental difficulties that sort of motivate him behind this. Because, yeah, it, it does seem sort of clear, though, that the method of, you know, driving a vehicle into many people, causing mass casualties, is, you know, similar in a sense to the Westminster attack with the car. Uh, and that obviously was someone who was, you know, inspired, radicalized by ISIL. So there is similar, he was still want, causing terror to the, in the Muslim community. Yes, I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying his, his motivation was hate. Hmm. I, don't think, I don't think he was saying, I'm now going to establish a whole terror network and we're going to attack. Most, of course, he wasn't organised. No, 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 absolutely. He, and, he, and, he, and he was organising the virus. He got mm. the van and drove all the way up here. I mean, it was a you know, mm. four and a half hours drive. Mm. Um, and, and he did use a methodology, which was a copycat attack. Because mm. he said, well, look, if you're hitting us with vehicles, I'm going to hit you with vehicles. Uh, and so we, we, we're, we have to kind of, I don't know how we can count it out. To be quite honest, I really don't know how. I've been giving advice in the past few days. And, and, and one group came to me and said, well, but if we have our religious gathering, if we are leaving mosque, if we're leaving church, if we're, if we're leaving synagogue, um, and we're crowded in an area and it's a particular festival, religious festival, how can we be safe? And, and I've had to say, well, working with the local police and whatever, whatever resources they can give you, we may have to consider um, suspending uh, parking regulations in an area and allow you to park a series of your vehicles um, to protect certain approach routes. So, mm. you know, you literally stack up vehicles. Uh, of course, that introduces another risk. That if you don't control that, then somebody could exploit that and put a bomb in the vehicle and you've allowed it to get closer. So there's all sorts of things you need to consider. But sadly, you know, I, 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 I live a normal life. I tell my kids to live a normal life. I tell my friends to live a normal life because the chances of you being caught up in terrorism are still extremely remote. Well, I think on that, on that sort of uh, moment of... Relief, in a sense, to bear in mind amid all this, so we don't sort of get too you know, down in the dumps about it. I think probably should bring this interview to a close. But thank you so much, Simon, for sharing your insights. You're welcome. Thank you. And so that was Simon Trundle, a counterterrorism expert. And now, shortly, we're going to have a, a debate on the government's response to recent terror attacks in London and Manchester. And we'll be joined by Jordan Ryan from uh, the Westminster website, Musa Okwonga on the phone, and then Izzy Lyons will be coming back. So, which will you know basically be a very interesting debate indeed. And they'll be answering the question: How can we defeat extremism? But first, let's listen to how Theresa May responded to the events in Finsbury Park this weekend. Following the Finsbury Park incident, Theresa May said that there has been too much tolerance of extremism in our country for many years. That terrorism, extremism and hatred take many forms and our determination to tackle them must be the same whoever is responsible. There has been far too much tolerance of extremism in our country over many years and that means extremism of any kind including Islamophobia. That is why this government will act to stamp out extremist and hateful ideology, both across society and on the internet, so it is denied a safe space to grow. It is why we will be reviewing our counter-terrorism strategy and ensuring that police and security services have the powers they need. And it is why we will establish a new commission for countering extremism as a statutory body to help fight hatred and extremism in the same way as we have fought racism. Because this extremism is every bit as insidious and destructive to our values and our way of life. And we will stop at nothing to defeat it. 
Mayor of London Sadiq Khan said that these incidents are an attack on our shared values. This attack behind me on Seven Sisters, the attack in Manchester, the attack on London Bridge, the attack on Westminster Bridge are all an attack on our shared values. Our shared values of tolerance and freedom and respect. And we will not allow these terrorists to succeed. I'm afraid the bad news is there has been a spike in hate crime, including in particular Islamophobic crime, after the London Bridge uh, attack. We've got to make sure that the community has confidence to report these things to the police and to the authorities. But also, I reinforce the message from the Commissioner. The police will take a zero-tolerance attitude towards this. Earlier this week, Jeremy Corbyn said in the House of Commons that our communities are strongest when we're united. The terrorist attacks in Manchester... London Bridge and Finsbury Park took innocent lives, causing dozens of injuries and traumatised hundreds of people with willful and callous disregard for human life. The attack in the early hours of Monday morning in my own constituency is a reminder to us all that hate has no creed, that violence has no religion and that we must stand up to hatred, whoever the target, and stand together against those who would drive us apart. And last night, hundreds of people assembled alongside Finsbury Park Mosque to give just that message from all communities and all faiths. Our communities and our country are strongest when we're united. FUBAR Radio presents Politics on FUBAR. And welcome back to Politics on Fubar. It's, uh, well, it's Bennett still here, and uh, I've got the pleasure to um, moderate uh, what might well be a sort of uh, punchy debate on how can we defeat extremism. And so in the studio, we've got Izzy Lyons back, uh, you may remember from earlier in the show, and uh, Jordan Ryan, from the uh, reporter from the website Westmonster. Think of it, if you've heard of Breitbart, uh, it's very much <laughs> in, in that same sort of spirit. It's set up by Leave.eu's sort of chief Aaron Banks. Hello, Jordan. Hello. And uh, Musa Okwanga, uh, the poet, journalist, musician. He's previously worked at ESPN and The Economist. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, Absolutely, loud and clear, clear as a bell. Now, um, I'd just like to sort of get the start by sort of pondering something here, in that we've had, it's very unusual, the election campaign, in that we, it pains me to say, we had, you know, two terror attacks, clearly, that that, seemed to freeze campaigning for a bit, people had to respond to, and then we thought, we're sort of sure, what does this mean for, you know, Theresa May versus Corbyn and all that? I mean, Jordan, that, that doesn't sit comfortably with you, I imagine, does it? No, absolutely not. And, and I think people are upset by the government's response to this, you know. And, and it seems to be a sort of weird London double thing where people are, you know, let's hold hands, sing kumbaya, mm. and, you know, keep calm, carry on. Yet when I go back home, people are absolutely fuming. They don't want to be told, you know, we won't let this divide us. We want the government to say, you know, we're rounding these people up, we're cracking down on X, Y, Z. You know, I think people are generally just they've had enough now and I think this is why the attack happened sadly happened last week because people are feeling powerless and when people feel powerless and scared mm. they lash out what do you think should, should be done because people say you know something must be done we, you know, we had enough what, what is what does that mean you could start by rounding up some of these 23,000 jihadis on the watch list you could you know the, where the, are they the security services must know if they've got them on a list. All right. Obviously, you can't get them all, but we. Are, if you listen to former SAS chiefs, people like Phil Campion, they're saying, you know, if you take out, you know, the top few hundred of these people, the rest will slowly start to die off. You know, you've got to cut off. Why would you say they haven't been rounded up, though? If, if it's surely that that easy, it could just happen tomorrow. Well, of course, you know, the, the government evidence, it, it's not as simple as you can just round people up because they're on a list. Hmm. 
But the worrying thing is the people that have committed these attacks have all been known to authorities, but they've been that far down the list, they've not been considered an active threat. So you mm. have to ask just how dangerous are the people in the top 50, top 100 of that list if the ones that are committing attacks are you know, thousands down the line. Mm. And so, Musa, uh, obviously, you're based in Berlin right now. Am I, am I right in thinking? Yeah. Now, so what's your perspective Absolutely. on the sort of the, the security debate uh, as you sort of watch from, from there? Sort of, uh, do you think that, I mean, obviously all sympathies you know, for Britain, I imagine, but then what should be happening? Well, the problem is not an intelligence failure. It's actually lack of resources. Um, that's a German problem. That's an Italian problem. It's a British problem. Um, you know, as, as Jordan rightly said, there is an issue of a list and not knowing exactly who's going to attack when. Um, one thing I would slightly push back on in relation to the concept of the London bubble, um, obviously Manchester was attacked and they've got a fair approach there as well. well. And actually, I think this is a time for better community cohesion. Um, one thing I would recommend in relation to sorting this issue um, as far as we can, I'm very concerned that certain voices are given more prominence in this conversation. So, actually, we Muslim. Um, one thing that notices is there's actually a very strong link between extremism and violence against women. And what I'm noticing is great voices like Sara Khan, Inspire, doing work, work on Prevent. But also, you've got um, Dia Khan, who wrote, who made a film about um, ISIS. Hmm. I think to have an idea of the kind of overlap in these ideologies. But then, if, if I can bring up as an example, particularly to Germany, obviously, uh, yeah. some critics might well say with Angela Merkel's policies on security, but uh, ha-ha, she, you know, really made things more dangerous there by you know, opening the doors to refugees, and this has meant that, you know, there's sort of awful things like this was the Christmas market attack with someone driving a van, you know, that sort of surely laid the sort of path for that. I mean, do you feel that she's made Germany more sort of open to sort of these sort of threats I now? I think that... Uh, uh, Chancellor Merkel is one of the most respected politicians in Europe because she had the bravery to take... Oh, we're going to flesh out um, the point. I think Jordan probably. will be itching to come back. Uh, no, 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 actually, no, the point, the point is, this, is this, actually, actually, this is, this is a, a lot of the things blamed on refugees. And you have to remember as well, there were three attacks. Uh, there were three attacks. Um, last year, I think it was about a thousand attacks on refugees and refugee shelters mm. in Germany. Like, on, on, they suffered a disproportionate amount of violence compared to who they are. And also, this is important to realise, the person who actually attacked the Christmas market was not a Syrian. Mm. He was an Afghan. So I, think, I think he was, I'm not sure what his descent was, but he was an asylum seeker. Mm. But here's the point. As a proportion of people that commit these offences, it's a very small one. Um, and so, you know, like I said, I'm not actually someone who has conservative politics, but Merkel took an extremely um, brave and strong stance. And actually, one thing I will say as well, it's very difficult to recruit ISIS members in Germany. They're really, really trying to recruit, but one problem they're having is that actually the kind of uh, conditions in which extremism thrives, feeling left behind, disenfranchised, feeling, uh, as John said, you know, feeling like this is outside of claimed things. Those conditions are not so severe in Germany, so they're having real trouble recruiting. Okay. And that's an issue, I think. If we address the underlying economic causes, people might not be so prey to fall into these uh these, these if i can bring in jordan on this and now obviously now i know i know i'm gonna have a guess of what you might say on this you know sort <laughs> of but hang on you know she was a fool and sort of obviously the isis sort of slip refuge sort of slip terrorist into the sort of influx of refugees i mean can you sort of directly link to any attack then that a refugee's been responsible for in germany no not off the top of my head and, and it's not about accusing the refugees of coming what it is is it's mm. creating the conditions, you know, Islamic State have said we are going to send refugees sorry, we're going to send fighters in with these refugees mm. into Europe and what's happening is it's creating the conditions, because not only do you have um, a refugee crisis 
you also have unprecedented numbers of economic migrants coming from the north of Africa. Hmm. And Europe just can't assimilate this amount of people. When, when the uh, migrant crisis first happened, what I thought the European Union's response was, right, we're going to take a small number of refugees, but the bulk of our resources, our money and our staff will be devoted to camps around you know, the, the north of Africa and around Syria because it's best that these people are kept and looked after there near to their homes with the view to going back and rebuilding their country after this is over. Hmm. It's been an unmitigated disaster and, you know, and every year, the more and more, um, when, when people are repeatedly asked the question about refugees, you know, after the um, London attack, Chatham House asked 10,000 people, do you want to stop um, immigration from Muslim countries? This was outright ban. Hmm. And eight out of 10 countries said yes. Britain was only one of two where 47% said no. So you would sort of espouse like, we should have a Donald Trump style travel ban in that sense? Quite possibly, yes. Th there's no. But would that not play into the ISIL propaganda that the West, you know, hates Muslims and wants to, it has it in for every, every, any average law-abiding Muslim? No, no. You know, we're we're at war. We're not admitting we're at war yet, but we have to keep Europe safe. And you know, we did a story yesterday where the um, Austria's most senior soldier said, "There's no reason why we can't stop." These boats. There's there's no reason for people to come to Europe when they can be helped in and around their own countries. Mm. Oh, the problem is we're conflating issues. We're conflating issues of homegrown terrorism with with refugees. This is. I'm sorry, but, but the massive problem is that these terrorist attacks are by people who are being who are homegrown. You know, if I look, I'm not. Let me be very frank about this. Right. Like, I think a major problem. A major problem. I'm going to be very frank about this. What the government immediately does. I think we're getting a bit sort of crackle there. Um, sort of, maybe I'll have a, I might invite Izzy to come in for the moment on just uh, give, give us some counsel. What, what should we be thinking about uh, sort of these things, sort of as you've heard the back yeah. and forth going on so well, I far? I think actually, first time ever, I actually agree with a bit of both sides. I do have to push back a little bit on the idea that this is something we should blame on refugees. Um, I don't agree with that at all. But what I do think the government have failed to do for many decades in this country. They've, they've created this climate where Islam, amongst many other things, has been put on this pedestal where it's sort of above criticism and above ridicule. And what that's created, I think, is one, we fail to socially integrate and we're not even allowed to address that because it's fear of being politically incorrect. Like, it goes beyond terrorism. You know, we saw it in the Rotherham scandal with the, with the young girls who were being groomed. We weren't allowed to address that because the men who were doing it were Pakistani. And I think we're seeing that quite a lot with terrorism as well. Like I said, you know, in the aftermath of Manchester, Andy Berlin mm. refused to say Islamist radical when this man, this young boy, had links to IS. So I think, I don't think this is so much of a resources failure. I think this is a cultural failure. So I think it sort of sits in the balance of both of what you're saying. And, and when, you know, Tony Blair opened the doors quite recklessly in 2004, a lot to blame for our failure to socially integrate these people and then our politically correct climate, which means we can't pull up on it. I think that's wrong. Hmm. Okay, because then, um, so Jordan, I imagine um, d when you saw in France people debating how to deal with sort of terrorism, there was sort of Marine Le Pen really sort of suggesting qu quite uh, radical, controversial things. Um, and actually, uh, th that said, I'm also happily informed that Moussa is back on the line, so I think he can finish his point, I believe. No, 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 like, it's a good conversation, so I don't, I don't want to interrupt it. No, 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 way, uh, way back in. Dive back in. Yeah, no, it's, I, I'd actually, I think, isn't it the point? Because, well, you know, it's, we've got to be very, we've got to look at the British role of uh, enabling some of this extremism. 
um, for so long. How so? The British media allowed the British media allowed people like Anjum Chowdhury to present themselves as the face of Muslims worldwide. This is a massive strategic problem because then now when these attacks happen, people go, "Oh, Anjum Chowdhury, he's speaks the Muslims." He never did. Hmm. You see what I mean? Like, so this is a big problem as well. So it creates this false narrative of clash of civilizations and actually two extremists and different corners facing off, right? Hmm. The British government then allowed hundreds of people to travel to Syria unchecked who received training from ISIS and then returned here. You see what I mean? Like, and the online, you know, and there's also resources issue actually providing security services with the resources they need to do their jobs hmm. to make these arrests earlier, um, to check out what people are doing and coordinate better. So, so these aren't so much security pages. Yeah, so, so I, think there's, there's, I think Britain has to look in the mirror and think, actually, who are we elevating? Who are we allowing to speak for Muslims? Because there's some amazing... Well, I, I haven't seen Anjem on the media yeah. very much lately, so I, I think he... Uh, no, he's done, his, but he's done it, but he's done... But he's, he's, done his, no, we have, yes. he's done his damage. The damage is done. He's doing it for 10 years. And for 10 years, people are being told, this man does not represent Muslims. He's creating a false dichotomy of him versus Tommy Robinson, which is not perfect. Mm. mainstream Muslim opinion at all. And the same with the Muslim Council of Britain. This is a massive strategic problem. Mm. So, sort of because obviously then there, there is that sort of question of... Uh I, I can recognise that in some ways because obviously there is that sort of trope on, on, on the online of saying you know the, the Muslim community needs to disown these attacks more sort of thing they really need to distance it has, themselves it's always, they always have they always have oh indeed and obviously the Muslim Council of Britain is very consistent it. on that I, can, I completely can sympathise with you on that true sort of, um, and so but obviously that doesn't get quite as much uh, attention in a sense but even, but that's my point even the Muslim Council of Britain are hmm. not representative they are a religious patriarchy they're basically a bunch of I hate to say but a lot of those guys are chances Mm. They're extremely conservative by mainstream standards, extremely conservative. So this is part of my problem. So when, when, we, when I talk with Jordan about this stuff, there's this kind of, there's a fog through which we're speaking because the, the people who've, the people who've um, uh, appointed themselves spokespeople, imagine, if, imagine Jordan, imagine if Tommy Robinson said he spoke for every single working class person, given his history of racism with the BNP, violent racism, under the name, was it Stephen Yaxley Lennon? Mm. Imagine if he said he spoke for all of you and he espoused that violence. You'd be horrified. Do, would you be horrified? He doesn't. Jordan, well, I, I actually quite um, sympathise with Tom Robertson. As in, I think he, he's changed. Uh, Would you think? Does he think he's representative of England? England is he not the English Anjem Chowdhury? No, no, not at all. But if you go to why? Any, well, you go to any working class part of this country, and you know, if if you were to give someone a quote and present it to them hmm. without Tommy Robinson's name on it, they'll say, "I agree with that." You know, look at Tommy Robinson yeah, went on Good Morning Britain a few days ago to debate with Piers Morgan. Hmm. That was their most watched show. Now, Izzy shook her head there, so I wonder <laughs> if, if you can sort of weigh in. Perhaps I'd no, much I appreciate do, yeah, it. I do not agree that Tommy Robinson represents all working class people in Britain at all. Um, yeah, that's Sorry, why. Can I, I, can I ask where you're from, if you don't mind? Where I'm from? I'm from Twickenham. Is that that London? Yeah. That is. <laughs> You know, I, I'm from a council state on the northeast, and well, you know, that really has but, got nothing to do with it because but it has. I appreciate where you're going with that, but like, it's sort of that's quite it's quite face value because there are people within my family who who are perhaps maybe if I get in more working class areas that I don't I don't I don't really get what you're, where you're going with that. My point is, when I go home, this is you know I, I'm telling you what other people say to me, and 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 my worldview, you know, I I, I represent these kind of people, and it's mm. it's not like um, I go home and you know people are drastically shocked by the things that I say as, as they are in London well, when we do these kind of things. I mean, I, I feel actually that I probably should start yeah, bringing this. Oh, of course, of course. Actually, <laughs> no, I have to, I have to, I have to, I'm sorry, I have to reflect on this. It's important. You definitely can, although I, I know, I'm afraid I have to be very sort of uh, awkward on this okay. and start to bring this debate to a close with final points, perhaps. So in maybe sort of 30 seconds each, uh, you know, we'd be able to maybe sort of make the final sort of takeaway messages in a sense. So Musa, please, the floor is yours. Yeah, so more resources for security services. Hmm allow liberal Muslim voices, particularly women, to have a voice. Dia Khan, 
star I come from Inspire. Hmm. Pride and Prue, the Prevent Program for Radicalization for both left-wing and right-wing extremism. Yep. Um, and actually look at cutting funding for radical mosques um, because that can be done very easily. So we can look at Saudi, look at their role, and look at ISIS funding and money laundering. These are strategic problems. These are, these are problems that we can, we can address actually pretty swiftly in the next few months, I think. All right, and then so maybe I'll try to find some consensus. Sort of perhaps, Izzy and Jordan, you know, where, where do you think you both could agree on something as a sort of, uh, you know, what, what should we be doing? Is there more money for the police, I imagine? Sort of? uh, I, sp- I, think, I think it's a little bit more deep-rooted than that on my behalf. I think we need to stop policing the language. That, like, so after, you know, sort of Manchester and London, people were told that they couldn't feel a certain way. Like, you were told you couldn't yeah. say, I hate these people. I hate those people, and I have no qualms in saying that. So I think we need to really step away from the, the, the policing of language and be it like be brave to call it for what it is and it is a radical form of islam all right and jordan definitely i i agree with all those points made and one thing that i had a, a point i would have liked to make is when these attacks are happening the families always refuse to deny it so I, we've just done a story this morning the family of the brussels bomber are now they've hired a lawyer to sue the government for proof that this guy did this attack that might just be because they're in shock though but, but obviously but, but yeah. we had this after the manchester attack the, mm. the, the family said you know it wasn't him it wasn't him and mm. i think there is this denial in the community that needs to be addressed and it can only come within the muslim community all right well in that case uh, thank you very much for your messages and your, and your time uh, everyone and so that was the that's the debate uh, in the meantime coming up next i'll be speaking to preet gill labor's mp for the edgebaston constituency but first our reporters took to the streets uh, in islington where fubar radio is based to ask how the general public think we should be tackling extremism Pre- present a counter argument to uh, religion because a lot of it is it provide opportunity and hope for young people who are drawn to something that makes them feel important and powerful if they've got no chance of employment or recognition or something to do with their lives they're drawn to extremist ide- ideals by stopping the kind of foreign policies that cause those kind of grievances frankly i think it's just evil and um you need uh, it's about people talking together and coming together and discussing and and I don't, but I don't know what makes people do the things they do. I think it's to do with there's such an imbalance in the world and uh, just really we want... Oh, it's just crazy. I, I wish I had the answer, yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether you can fully stop it, but I think there's a lot of different ways you can approach it and it's probably from the ground up. I would say look at you know where are these people getting, into, you know, getting these ideas in their heads and, and look at tackling it from the bottom, I would say. Shutting the borders. It's hard if you're looking at specific situations, but I would say, yeah, if you see, you know, um, people having, you know, views and not having any foundation for it, you can always speak up and, you know, put put your uh, well, make some sort of effort. I would say. We're all on this planet. We all want to live peacefully, and that's all I want. I'm Muslim, you see. I'm not covered, so people when they when they look at me, they don't they don't see that I'm Muslim. So how how people portray you, and we have our choice. We have we have our, you know decisions to make whether we do the right thing or the wrong thing, and we know what is the right and the wrong thing to do. I don't know if they can. I mean, just be nice. Try and be nice to each other. Try and understand each other it sounds really lame but day-to-day basis what more can you do you know Welcome back to Politics on Fubar. It's Asa Bennett here, and now I have the pleasure to have Preet Gill on the line, uh, a new MP, sort of representing Edgebaston in Birmingham, I believe. It's sort of, um, hello. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, congratulations on your election. How does it feel to be a sort of a new member of the House of Commons going around the old building? What, what's, how has it been settling in? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, when you go there, you just feel this sense of privilege, and uh, whilst it's overwhelming, 
can absorb all the information. Uh, it's just seriously an honour um, to be in this position. What's been the funniest thing you've noticed, though, in the comments? Because I remember Stella Creasy said it, 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 um, it struck her as a kind of Hogwarts gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, I, well, gosh, uh, there's so many things. Just, uh, you know, quite a lot of the um, formalities that are taking place and how much tradition there is, I guess. Um, and yeah, I would, I would probably agree with Stella, really. So, yeah. So basically, it's it's like a new Hogwarts for you in a way. New Hogwarts, yeah, absolutely. All right, because actually, um, if I may just single out the the particular reason, uh, so the people are you know so excited as well, among other things, for your your victory, is obviously you are the first Sikh woman to be elected um, to Parliament. And so, um, I mean, normally with the kind of ideas of expanding, improving representation in Parliament, but there's all this sort of debate about you know quotas or affirmative action shortlists, you name it. I mean, could you tell us of how did you uh, you know break through, you know, smash that ceiling and get and get there so how was your campaign since you didn't campaign as you know Sikh woman you campaigned as pre you know pre gill yeah, I mean, look, representation has been an issue and lots of Sikh organisations, especially the Sikh Network, have been lobbying this. I mean, it's been great that Jeremy and Tom Watson came out, um, you know, uh, and, and stated that they wanted to address representation, not just for Sikhs, but for women, for working class, uh, people from working class backgrounds as well. Hmm. Um, so this is huge. I mean, the fact that we're in 2017, we didn't actually, going into this election, we had no Sikh MPs. Uh, and now we have the first female MP and what's been quite interesting is uh, a lot of people weren't actually aware that we didn't have a seat female MP ever because hmm. uh, a lot of you know people had thought that uh, we, we'd already had that representation uh, so it, it's just been unbelievable I mean the response I've had from so many young women from all kind of BME backgrounds saying how they feel inspired they're hmm. really interested they'd love to have some guidance and support in terms of getting involved in politics uh, you know has been amazing and uh Parliament must, re- you know, must represent the people it serves. Of course, and, and at the same like, time as your election, yeah. I'm, I, I'm right in recalling that uh, I think there's a first Sikh um, sort of turban-wearing Sikh that's been elected in Slough, uh, sort of uh, uh, another MP. So, the, you know, the representation is improving immensely. But then with this in mind, can I ask one quick question just to wrap up, sort of that um, with your knowledge of, you know, community relations, uh, you know, would you say that this is where, for example, you know, increased community relations for the police, that's where they need to improve in the fight against extremism, you know, local policing, that's the secret, really? Yeah, so I mean, um, one of my roles before becoming an MP was the cabinet member for public health and protection, so being yes. head of policing. And what we have seen with police cuts and reorganisation and restructuring within the police is, is that on the ground, we do not have those community police officers that used to engage very well with communities, building those relationships, gathering intelligence. And, you know, we know that absolutely works. And we need to engage more with our communities. And actually, unfortunately, with the police cuts, mm. uh, with with this sort of, uh, you know, not having, not seeing the police presence on the ground, really, that is no doubt going to, uh, you know, compound the situation. But it, it also, it doesn't enable communities to talk about the issues that are ma- matter to them because mm. naturally they will know about information or, and have information that they want to share but uh, don't so always know how to do that yeah, yeah that is so. definitely something we need to be conscious of uh, well, that's very interesting I'm, I'm, I'm really I could speak to you for the rest of you know a whole hour at this rate but I'm afraid I have to sort of wind it up now but thank you so much for your pr- time Preet thank you so much and so, yes, that was uh, a chat with Preet Gill, a sort of remarkable part of the new generation in Parliament. And so, in the meantime, we are now nearing the end of the show. And so, I feel after, you know, sort of an absolute, another, you know, torrid week with, yes, a tragic attack in you know, Finsbury Park. And only, um, only so sort of long ago, we had the even more awful sort of, you know, Grenfell, par- Grenfell sort of tower fire. I feel that, that 
it's right to sort of pay tribute perhaps to the to the victims with um, you know, the new single that's been uh, sort of put out on Bridge Over Troubled Water by Artists for Grenfell to play us out. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.